Hi. Hey. Hey, little heart. Oh, I'm still trying to mute you on my. So hang on, I'm having technical difficulties, but here I go. Okay, here we go. Hello. All right, let's start over. Hey, little heart. <laughs> Hi, big heart. <laughs> Hi, guys. So, despite the fact that we're both working remotely and dependent on technology for everything lately in the middle mm-hmm. of this fucking pandemic, mm-hmm. um, we still suck at our technology. <laughs> right? I've been at this for three weeks and still can't figure stuff out, but you know, I'm getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Absolutely. We're getting there. So let me apologize. Hey, time. If you hear any noise from outside, I've got my window open in the office. It's really hot around here where I live. So bear with me. If you hear any, I'm in a quiet neighborhood, but just in case. Well, everybody better be fucking staying at home. Like, right. what is it? This, yeah, stay at home order. I live on the highway, though, so I can hear the trucks a lot. Like, there's trucks. Uh, close. The highway's real close to me. Well, then we're going to cheer for it because that's the toilet paper people and the Clorox wipes. <laughs> there you go. Have been hogging. Okay. Oh, the coolest thing today, I went to my little neighborhood store. It's literally, it's called the general store. Like I live out in the boonies. I've already said that. And there was like nothing out here. Well, there's a little store, a little convenience store, gas station, mm-hmm. slash liquor store bar. Okay, okay. All in one, all in one strip. And it's, uh, we call it the general store. And well, that's what it's called, the general store. Um, but it, they literally had like this big, like one of those big industrial or like business, I guess, not really industrial, but business boxes of toilet paper that you would buy if you had a business, right? Okay. And they were selling that shit and they were, they put these boxes out and it said like limit two per customer. And I was just like, that is amazing. Wow. Even my general store is like getting on the bandwagon to uh-huh. hook people up with Asswipe. That's amazing. I love it. All right. Okay. See, look at that. Some good positivity. But at the same time, oh my gosh, I didn't even introduce us. Hello, hello. <laughs> this is Crime Concepts with Chris and Ellie, and I'm Chris. That's my little sister, Allie. Hi. Uh, let's drink wine and talk crime, guys. I can't drink wine, Ellie. Oh, I forgot. If you guys remember why Chris is not whining it up, Chris, go ahead and tell us. I. Well, you can tell too. I mean, I've told it over and over. It's kind of a, it's kind of the song that's on repeat. I'm tired of this song because I still have two weeks of Lent and I gave up wine because that's my favorite thing in the world sometimes is wine. So I gave up wine for Lent. And so the same time, this is why I went to the general store for our podcast tonight. I was going to get some of my spiked seltzer and I've been doing, I've been favoring um, the truly seltzer yep. and the um, Smirnoff. Uh, four ways to rosé baby and it's like a sparkling seltzer with rosé flavor it's delicious we've I think on another podcast we talked about it but anyway um it's amazing but there were there weren't any left everybody I think has the same sentiment as I do Mm -hmm. is I'm not really gonna drink drink like I'm not gonna drink (laughs) hard wine I'm not gonna drink like liquor I'm not gonna like do shots of Cuervo or whatever (laughs) but I'm going to go ahead and just, I'm going to have a sparkling cider with a little kick or mm-hmm. a, not cider, a sparkling water with a kick. Yeah. And so there is no truly, there is no white claw. There is absolutely no Smirnoff or ways to rosé or one way to rosé. There is none. Wow. What they did have though was a shit fucking ton of Corona seltzers. Wow. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, it's the same, like the same concept. It's mm-hmm. like a 90 calorie, 4.5% alcohol. So pretty light. Okay. Um, real low carb, but people aren't buying it 
I'm assuming because it says Corona on it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yes. How does it taste? Guess what? It's delicious. I was going to say, guess what I did? I bought that shit. And it is yeah. really good. I mean, I'm, I am drinking one right now that's called Blackberry Lime. Mm. And I'm not even joking. Like, this shit's good. Okay. Well, we all can guess what I'm drinking. Barefoot, uh, is it barefoot Riesling? <laughs> yeah. Um, barefoot Riesling is my jam. Um, stop, stop changing it on me. Yeah. You know. So if I went to the store or if my husband, because I'm subscribing to the head of the household, is the one who goes to the store because I have anxiety and it just doesn't do well for me nowadays to go out and about. Um, <laughs> but if he came back with the report that there was no barefoot Riesling. We'd be um, protesting. Yeah, we'd have some more issues than we already have. And let's face it, we already have enough issues in the world, you guys. You do, you do. I'm just thinking that you're like, fuck the toilet paper. Where's my Riesling? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll figure the toilet paper situation out, but the Riesling, yeah. uh-uh. Not to be graphic, but there's more than one way to clean your tushy, people. And there's not more than one way to drink barefoot Riesling. <laughs> you can only drink barefoot Riesling while drinking barefoot Riesling. Hello. It's mutually exclusive to do, drink barefoot Riesling and anything else. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, people? Seriously. Uh, clean your tushy. Is that what you said? Or wipe your Yeah, tushy? there's just different ways to clean your tushy. There there are. I mean, toilet paper is the easiest. Okay, great. There's other ways that we can do it if push comes to shove, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's gross. Yes, if push comes to shove, <laughs> we can do other things. We could use the wrapper or the, the paper on the barefoot bracelet if we needed to. I mean, come on. Let's be real. Um, but <laughs> thankfully, I've got both in this house. I'm stocked up with barefoot bracelet and toilet paper. So we're okay. So you're good. You're yeah. good. And and I have my Corona seltzer. So we're doing great. We're doing great. This shit is crazy though, Allie. Yes. Seriously. Definitely. And guys, we um are happy to be with you guys this evening. We're happy that you're listening and following up us on our 14th podcast. Pretty exciting. But we definitely know that this world is going through something right now and that we're all going through kind of a hard time. So we hope that we can some, you know. Um, hang out with you during this podcast for like educational purposes, some entertainment, right? Because we're pretty entertaining. <laughs> I think so. But yeah, we're just happy that we're able to be doing this um, because we're all finding our new normals and this has become our norm, you know, a normal thing for us to record this podcast. Okay. Yeah. Well, and the thing is that, that life's gotten kind of away from us. Mm-hmm. So we're like a week late on this yeah. one because um, we've both been tasked with remote working yep. or working from home, um, trying to make everything work. Um, I've been legit for the last three weeks, I've been working from an iPad. Mm-hmm. So I've been running a statewide, very important program from a fucking iPad, like legit. Um, I actually heard today from um, my uh, information technology department and I have a laptop and I'm going to go pick it up on Wednesday nice. and it's going to be, um, and I had a laptop before, I mean, but I, I, when, when we were leaving, I had just been issued this iPad. So I said, well, I'll give my iPad mm-hmm. or my laptop to somebody who might need it. Mm-hmm. I have this nifty little iPad. That's the newest thing. Right. Like, you know, it's all the rage with, 
with my little MiFi uh, internet connection mm-hmm. and my little tiny keyboard, I'm good. Yeah, no, not so much. I want my, I want a laptop. So, oh yeah, I'm getting a brand new laptop eventually here. At, well, on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and I hope that that makes life easier because it's been rough. Let me tell you, it's been rough. Yeah, it should. Um, yeah. So we're all figuring it out. We are very blessed. We know how lucky we are to be able to work remotely because we understand that, and a lot of people aren't able to do their jobs from home. Um, oh yeah. In, our, in facing job loss or having to go out, which it's all bad, right? Job loss is terrible, but also being in an essential job and you do have to go out daily is terrible too in its own right. And so everybody's facing um, their own version of grief and loss and adjustments. Um, yeah. So for sure, for sure. We are all. And then, and then I, I, I do want to, I do want to take a second to say that my heart goes out to our kids. I mean, the children in this world and because this is unprecedented, like we said before, none of us has ever been through, I mean, a global pandemic like this, that is teaching us all a lot of new things and a lot of things that we would rather probably not know how to do, but our kids, I think are, are taking the brunt of it because like their life as they know it has just stopped and um, mm-hmm. we're having to come up with a new normal for them. We're adults. Hopefully we know some mm-hmm. way to cope mm-hmm. at this point, but I, I just really feel for, for the kids and uh-huh. um, seeing all of the, uh, the caravans of teachers going through neighborhoods and honking and being um, a parent and seeing that firsthand, it literally like it, it grounded me. Um, and it, it let me, understand I think the severity of what we're dealing with and how impactful it is on everybody and especially on our kids right absolutely I'm so glad that you brought that up yes um and it at all the different ages right our kids are facing different um things and they're equipped to I have a, a teenager and there are some parts of this whole thing that he thinks are pretty cool you know um and there are certain parts that he's, he's grieving he's he's very heavily into track and he just mentioned the other day, every, and he's been going for runs around our neighborhood and keeping his skill um, sharp. But he mentioned the other day, oh, what a bummer over the weekend. We would be at this such and such track meet this week. And I just, you know, you have to take a minute and you're able to um, honor those yeah. things and grieve for those things that we're all losing during this time. Um, our kids, Absolutely. sports, our kids dance lessons um, and Girl Scouts and whatever we're into, right? Those are things that help us live a whole and complete life. Uh, so those aren't little things that we're giving up. Well, and I think honestly, like at the same time, again, it's all about balance and, and maybe that's like the Libra in me. Yeah. But the balance of that is, is that there is none of that. Yep. <clears throat> and so I am not rushing home mm-hmm. to get my kid to dance class mm-hmm. or to this or to that or to, you know, whatever it is that they, or to whatever activity or friend's house or party Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Yep. Um, so we're able to, I mean, we're home together. Mm -hmm. Um, we have been spending an exorbitant amount of time outdoors Mm -hmm. today. I actually, (laughs) we actually have like, we got some cool outdoor stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're doing T-ball with the baby Mm -hmm. and we're running around yesterday. We were doing four square in our driveway, 
and we had the best time ever right. just playing right. a game that I haven't played since I was in school right. because we don't we don't take the time to do that right. and I mean forcing ourselves to get out there and have fun together mm-hmm. and it was amazing I will tell you that we played frisbee and none of us can play frisbee actually <laughs> I thought frisbee was pretty easy <laughs> oh hell no frisbee is like fucking hardcore right. like right. you have to be you have to be like a friggin' sharpshooter mm-hmm. to play frisbee. Coordinated AF. That leaves so, me out. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, I thought I could do it. I was like, let's do the frisbee. Um, uh-uh. And I can't throw it either. Right. And you would think that as somebody who's, I mean, I'm a pretty good shot, mm-hmm. like with the gun. Yep. So, I mean, I know how to aim. And most things that you aim at, like darts and yeah. like, air, like what is the, archery, mm-hmm. arrows, you know, any of the things, pull, whatever you aim at, you can aim the same way you aim a gun. Yep. Yeah, not with a fucking frisbee when the wind's blowing. Like that yep. shit just goes everywhere. <laughs> so that's a skill. That's um, a skill. I'm a novice. We're all novices in my family. We spent more time chasing the damn frisbee, which was great exercise. Yeah. I mean, it, was, it, was, it was great. And fun. Um, so it is, I'm glad that you brought that up, Chris, because it's super important right now, guys. And I know we're slightly off of our topic, but that's fine, right? We're catching up. Um, but it's super important to kind of um, acknowledge, yes, acknowledge all the things and honor the things that you're sad about. And you're adjusting to, but also it's important to look for the blessings in this whole situation because they're there, right? Um, yeah. If you just look for them. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's okay. And the other thing that I, I did want to point out um, mm-hmm. from a psychological standpoint is it's really important that we own where we're at. Yep. I mean, none of us are at 100%. Mm-hmm. And if you are, then God bless you. Right. Um. But I think most of us are operating probably somewhere between 50 and 75 ish percent of, of our, our total capacity. And, and I can, I mean, when I'm in a meeting at work or on a meeting, I should say, because it's all web based now, I'm in my element. And then I hang up and I'm sad. I'm sad that I, I had to see you know, my coworkers, my colleagues, those people I connect with online and right. they're in their homes. And that's amazing to see at the same time. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's just like, God, mm-hmm. I can't even be around those people. Like, right. I can't, and it, it's that connection. That's still a connection. Mm-hmm. And it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we did something this weekend that I thought was amazing that I would like to yeah. talk about just for a second. Um, our family is, is very, very close mm-hmm. and we eat <laughs> and we eat. We eat Mexican food mm-hmm. because our family has amazing Mexican mm-hmm. food recipes. And so on Saturday, um, a few of, of our cousins were actually craving um, a, a very, very um, location-based dish. My mom's um, Pueblo Green mm-hmm. Chili that she makes. And it's a, it's a, it's from a special chili yeah. that you can only get in one part of the state. Uh-huh. And um, she makes yep. the most amazing green chili. And so our cousins mm-hmm. from all over the the United mm-hmm. States. Now it's United States. I used to say the world because you were always somewhere else <laughs> in the world, but now it's in the United States from all over the United States. We all united mm-hmm. on um, Zoom mm-hmm. and my mother took us through her chili recipe and we all made our own and she was able to watch us make ours yeah. like, and we were able to you know, see each other yeah. and see everybody's family and everybody was involved um, and like husbands and kids and everybody, cousins. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. And we all connected. We all made our own version of the, the chili. Yeah. Um, and we shared pictures and we did a, like the tutorial was really involved yeah. and we were like showing every step of, are we doing this mm-hmm. right? Is this how it's supposed to look? It was, it was amazing. It was. And, and I just want to mm-hmm. say that, 
we have to force those connections now Mm -hmm. because it's not as easy as, okay, we're going to have this thing and everyone's going to come over here Mm -hmm. or, you know, Allie's going to fly in and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Mm -hmm. We take that for granted. And that was very cool. Um, And that's something maybe we wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been in our realm or whatever. Maybe it would have before this whole pandemic started, but I was just very thankful for it. It was awesome. Uh, Definitely a highlight of my weekend. I mean, absolutely. Our kids got to see their cousins and got to like connect and we got to connect with Mm -hmm. each other and, you know, just remember that there are so many things we can Mm -hmm. do. Absolutely. It was, it's, it was amazing. So, okay. So I think we're about 11 minutes. We had about 15 minutes in. Okay. So I have a current event really quick that doesn't tie into our case. So I'm going to share that now. Um, and then we'll get into our, our actual, um, topic of this podcast. Concept. Yeah. I said case. <laughs> okay. So the current event, it's kind of a tragic one, but it is very relevant for right now for this pandemic that we're going through. Um, so Phoenix police um, were responding to a domestic violence call. And in the completion of that call, whatever, while carrying out response to that domestic violence situation, Three Phoenix police officers were shot and one Phoenix police commander lost his life in responding to that um, domestic violence case. So that is tragic. Um, And I caught um, that uh, that came through um, last night when we were kind of just hanging out, relaxing. So Sunday night, pretty late at night. But Mm. I think that was really relevant for right now because I did see an article earlier that domestic violence is on the rise now um, with everybody being mandated to stay home. So home isn't always safe. That's a perpetrator's paradise, right? Perpetrator's paradise. Don't go anywhere. I I do want to say also from a law enforcement Mm -hmm. uh, perspective, Mm -hmm. domestic violence cases are some of the most dangerous cases right. to respond Already. to. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that in, in um, I'll just vaguely speak to um, a situation that um, our dad mm-hmm. was involved in. Um, the only officer involved shooting him and he shot a person mm-hmm. during a domestic violence and he almost yep. lost his life. And he says to this day, uh, domestic violence cases are yep. the worst. Like I will respond to a burglary in progress, mm-hmm. to an assault, to a you know, whatever it is, a riot mm-hmm. somewhere before I would want to, was yeah. to respond to a domestic violence case yeah. because you don't, I mean, a lot of times those dynamics play out in some weird way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a very mm-hmm. uncontrolled situation and that is heartbreaking yep. to those, those officers' yeah. families and it's heartbreaking for everybody involved. Yes. Absolutely. So wanted to share that one. Now we'll get into our um, concept for the, um, for the week for this podcast. So this concept is vicarious trauma. Um, Vicarious trauma. Those are some big words, right? What does that mean? So vicarious trauma is a transformation in the self of a trauma worker or helper that results from empathic engagement with traumatized clients and their reports of traumatic experience. It's also a kind of counter-transference stimulated by exposure to the client's traumatic material. Um, Vicarious trauma can also be defined as an emotional or as the emotional residue of exposure that counselors have from working with people um, and hearing their trauma accounts. And they become witnesses 
to the pain, fear, and terror that the trauma survivors have endured. Um, it's super important to not confuse vicarious trauma with burnout. That's a completely different concept. Um, so the people who are experiencing vicarious trauma are definitely on the other end of the spectrum from those who are experiencing burnout. And Chris will touch on that a little bit later on in kind of the differences, but who can be affected by vicarious trauma? Helping professionals, such as counselors, um, domestic violence shelter workers, child abuse investigators, lawyers, healthcare professionals, basically anybody who works in high stress trauma exposed field. An interesting thing that I found while doing my research is basically anyone who is exposed or who overexposes themselves to news or stories of tragedy or crime can be affected by this um, vicarious trauma. So Chris and I were talking that true crime enthusiasts have definitely increased recently, right? And that warms my little true crime heart, but um, that is definitely a phenomenon that, that those people are exposing themselves to this too. So. Absolutely. And, and I think when you talk about true crime junkies, um, we're not talking about the people like us who are directly involved and have, um, I think, decidedly and intentionally gone into this field and have, um, you know, pursued education in this right. field and are crazy enough to continue to work in this in this environment. But people that, you know, everyday walks of life that don't choose this as mm -hmm. a career, but have like that fascination yep. or that um, mm -hmm. interest in, in that dark stuff and in the, in the criminal mind and in the criminal um, perspective yep. and things like that. And I, and I think that it, I mean, I have a lot of theories and we can do another podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be another concept as to why people who aren't in this field um, and who are in this field for that matter, why we're drawn yeah. there and why we, we go there. But I think that the reality is that a lot of people that do that have a different kind of sense of um, what is, what is realistic and what is actually mm -hmm. happening in our society. There are a lot of people who are very, very mm -hmm. bliss. I'll say. Like, they say ignorance is bliss. I don't know. It's not really ignorance. It's it's like a, a lack of even wanting to understand right. it. And there are those of us who freaking dive in, take it by the mm -hmm. throat and face mm -hmm. it and get it slimed all over us Absolutely. all the time. And so I think that that really, really does impact mm -hmm. people. And and I think you said a couple of things that really mm -hmm. stuck out to me in the definition. You said the empath um, empathic mm -hmm. engagement. So people who have that propensity to feel and to um, put themselves in positions of mm -hmm. other people and to actually be um, responsive to other people's mm -hmm. energy and emotion and situation. And there are a subset of, of people, I think, in existence who have that in mm -hmm. spades. And that is very, very, very yep. traumatic because you don't even have to experience trauma to know what trauma feels like and to feel that and to be burdened by it. And so that's a huge piece mm -hmm. of it. The other thing that you mentioned was the countertransference. Um, psychologically speaking, that's when you attribute something in another person and it kind of triggers something in your right. being, in your soul, in your life, in your... So it, <laughs> it's like the... So transference is... Um, for the client, okay, so you have a professional, a helper, a counselor, we'll just say, because that's the easiest way to describe it. And um, the client starts to view that counselor as his mother, mm -hmm. because there are things about that counselor that are, are motherly and that are warm and that are empathetic mm -hmm. and that 
remind him of his mother. Mm-hmm. So countertransference is, is the same thing, but role mm-hmm. reversal. And so it's when professionals start to be triggered and emotionally um, triggered personally by something about mm-hmm. a client. So this person somehow makes me, reminds me of my mm-hmm. nephew who I adore. Um, and I, I can, I can kind of get there and then mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a whole nother level of intimacy. Right. Mm-hmm. right? And that creates that possibility or that, that likelihood of vicarious right. trauma um, in working with clients. And the other thing that I find really, really interesting is that a lot of times we, it's not the, a lot of times people think that it's the stories you hear, the people that you encounter. So it's the, for police officers, it's the dead mm-hmm. bodies or it's the, the crime and it's the actual people and in the instances of, of this mm-hmm. thing for therapists or for teachers or for um, emergency room Mm -hmm. workers. It's the situations. It's the child abuse Mm -hmm. cases. It's domestic violence. It's the clients that you Mm -hmm. serve that cause the vicarious trauma or that, that that's where it comes Mm -hmm. from. And, and what I found, I think in my professional, um, I, I, over the last 13 years, I would say is that it's not always so it's not always the stories that Mm -hmm. we hear. And in my line of business, we hear some pretty horrific Mm -hmm. shit, but and we deal with some pretty horrific shit. And I've seen some pretty horrific shit on the mm-hmm. front lines, um, as you have also, mm-hmm. Ellie. But really what it is, is that that capacity for empathy for the people. So healers and helpers have these psychological processes that happen. Like we talked about the counterinference. Mm-hmm. That's one, definitely. Also, something called parallel yeah. process, which is where I start to take on the characteristics, the beliefs, the mindset of the clients mm-hmm. that I serve. And so I start to feel, because of the empathy piece, mm-hmm. I start to feel the plight of the disenfranchised. Right. So I see that and I start <clears throat> to take that almost personally <clears throat> and I start to become triggered mm-hmm. by that. And that's a parallel process that's part of vicarious yep. trauma. And so it's one of those things that I hear, I mean, I hear people all the time in clinical supervision as a psychotherapist. Um, I hear people say when they bring up vicarious mm-hmm. trauma, I'm not, I'm not affected by the stories. I'm not affected by the crimes that mm-hmm. I hear. What I'm affected by is the mm-hmm. system and the way that this happens <laughs> and that happens and nobody's there for mm-hmm. these clients or, you know, nobody's there for these victims or nobody. And it starts to become like this torch that, that people yeah. carry. So I yeah. guess, I guess there's my soapbox. <laughs> um, I, I kind of went okay. through that. Um, go Absolutely. Um, I have some signs to look out for. So um, you might be listening. Okay. How do I know, right? If I am experiencing this and sis, um, did you mention the, um, the other things of vicarious trauma? There's other terms that are interchangeable that you'll often hear. I did, not. did you mention that? I there are um, secondary stress might be something that you hear um, and then compassion fatigue. And I know Chris, you referred to it sometimes as the compa- compassion fatigue. Yeah. I haven't heard secondary stress a lot. And uh, to me, I'm kind of, because it kind of seems less right in the verbiage, yeah. compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma do kind of give it the homage that it homage, whatever that, that I homage. think that this, right. um, this concept deserves secondary stress does seem a little, 
And I, I think that what I just described in, in, in taking on the plight of, of those that we serve, I think mm-hmm. that's compassion fatigue. Absolutely. Okay. There you go. So I do have some signs that you can look out for, for yourselves or loved ones or whatever, just be um, aware of overvigilant thinking, thinking everyone's out to get you. Um, smells and sights are burned into your memory, a memory that you didn't even experience firsthand. Oh, oh, let me talk about this real quick. Let me talk about okay. this one. This one is, this one is intense. I, I know the smell. Oh gosh. How am I going to say this? Of a rape investigation. Okay. The smells associated with a rape kit being performed. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that in the world. Um, right. early in my career, I think I've mentioned this before I ran a rape crisis center and I um, was a victim advocate and I was present as was Allie for a ton mm-hmm. of, 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 of rape kit um, exams and that, mm-hmm. that the smells associated with um, that and it's, it's hospital smell and it's like mm-hmm. this um, chemical smell and mm-hmm. it's human fear and it's mm-hmm. sweat and it's and mm-hmm. all these things that there is nothing and I'm sniffing right now because that's my Right. Brain, like telling me right. that is something that will never go in anytime I smell if I ever smell anything like that it's very triggering the other yeah. huge one for me is a prison infirmary okay um, um I used to have to do or I used to do um early in my career in in corrections um as a mental health um psychotherapist I had to do on-call mental health mm-hmm. in in a prison and Oftentimes that was in a locked prison infirmary, which is like a hospital mm-hmm. for inmates. But this is like an area that's like cordoned off from mm-hmm. other people because it's a locked unit because clearly they have mental health issues. So I would get called out for um, mm-hmm. risk of self-harm, suicidal, mm-hmm. suicidality, those kinds of things. People that were um, self-injurious behaviors, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And going into this like really, really locked secure area with those mm-hmm. really, really, again, chemical smells, right? It's a hospital setting and yep. human smells. Those things never go away. I mean, I've had, I've had, um, inmates when I was in this locked area, which is really, really small mm-hmm. urinating on the floor because they were not getting what they wanted. And that mm-hmm. smell combined with the cleaning agents and, yeah. It, it triggers something for me because you're locked in an area where you have to ask somebody mm-hmm. to let you out of. And it, all of those things, that's vicarious trauma. Right. Ooh. You're absolutely right. So yep. Sights and smells, they're burned into your memory, right? You will not forget them. Ever. Sleep disturbances. And, and this, this isn't like in the days after you experience something. Cause that's just normal, right? I heard right. something terrible yesterday today. I'm still, it's on my mind. This is years yeah. down the road. It's here. It's with you. Wow. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So sleep disturbances such as insomnia or oversleeping, um, binge eating. So eating eating disturbances such as binge eating or not eating, explosive air, controlled. So you work excessively. You oh. figure out. <laughs> um, I don't know anybody who that one applies. To. I don't know anybody giggling. at all. Um, feeling underappreciated, and Chris touched on this earlier, and I thought this was so interesting. Feeling underappreciated at work. Or feeling your company doesn't equip you well enough to help your clients. And so this is not, oh, I'm sick of my job. This isn't something changed in my company. So now I'm disgruntled. This is the company didn't change. Your job didn't change. This is you changed, right? So there's the difference. Um, 
I, that's all the signs that I have. I mean, there's plenty more, I'm sure, that I missed. Um, but those well, are the and ones. I, that and I, think I, I, I do want to speak for a minute from a correction standpoint. Mm-hmm. Because these things that you're talking about in vicarious trauma in a correctional environment is extremely dangerous. Right. Because when we start to do like that piece, like my company, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the state agency or this agency right. that is um, challenged with providing security for communities mm-hmm. is not doing enough for my clients. Mm-hmm. And ultimately those clients can be dangerous at times mm-hmm. and, and, and taking on those causes can be extremely dangerous. Yeah. And so I yeah. just want to point out that vicarious trauma in this environment, in that environment that I'm talking about, as well as any kind of, I would say like a psychiatric um, hospital yep. or a facility for um, juvenile, I guess, delinquents. I don't know. That's yeah. not a popular word, but what am I trying to say? Offenders, like, juvenile offenders. Juvenile offenders. There you go. Thank you. I needed that correction. <laughs> juvenile delinquents. That's yeah, that was bad. That was kind of pejorative. Yeah. Um, but, but definitely juvenile offenders. Mm-hmm. Um, the nature of those types of clients mm-hmm. um, can perpetrate and prey on that uh, vulnerability for the empathic mm-hmm. professionals. And so then that can take on something altogether dangerous mm-hmm. and can create some, some weird dynamics for mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Yes. Um, so I do have a small case or I don't want to say small, right? This isn't a small concept, but I mean a short case. I don't have a whole lot of details. <laughs> um, so the Atlantic.com had a really good article um, when it's called entitled when PTSD is, is contagious. And I thought that was pretty cool, catchy, right? Of course, the news article. Um, so Michael is, he asked that his last name not be used, um, a clinical psychologist in Manhattan. And he was not in New York on September 11, 2001, but for years afterwards, whenever he, an elevator opened at his job, he would imagine people on fire rushing out and he would hear their screams filling the lobby. Um, He was plagued by moments of the violence and destruction that he hadn't witnessed firsthand. He did treat many of the clients. Many of his clients did have PTSD from the attacks on the World Trade Center. Um, And so he experienced the vicarious trauma through that. And for years he suffered with this secondary stress and he was having insomnia and really bad symptoms um, that were problematic for him in his everyday life. And so he eventually reached out to his um, colleagues and um, was prescribed sleep medication and counseling and kind of worked through that. So I thought that was a pretty um, something that we could all kind of relate to, right? We've heard stories about um, 9-11 and what it was like there on the, there, um, but we haven't heard it. You know, I personally haven't heard it directly from someone who was there and maybe that would hit differently. And maybe, you know, so that was a really interesting story that I came across. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that speaks volumes for really what it is, is like a secondary post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh And anybody is susceptible to that. You Uh talked earlier about like the true crime junkie. Uh Yep. Um, people that really dive into this stuff because it's fascinating yep. for them. So, also, 
I think that there's this mm-hmm. bonds, I think. Um, and, and that's what exactly mm-hmm. you're talking about is, is mm-hmm. that you can feel something that you've never actually been through because others have and others. And I, I know that for myself, the most intensive yeah. post-traumatic stress symptoms mm-hmm. or, or not mm-hmm. symptoms, um, situations or catalysts, I guess, um, are things that I didn't even experience. Right. That I so Chris, about. I did reach and out to, can, uh, to Chris yesterday, um, and shared us something that I experienced just over this past weekend that was very fitting for vicarious trauma. And it definitely was something that I hadn't heard an account of firsthand. And I worked in this criminal justice, criminology, behavioral health field since 2001. And even before when we were still in college and have heard people's firsthand accounts of very traumatic things, right? Um, but I have a, a whole arsenal of, of coping tools and things that have helped me through this. Um, but I'm going to tell you that I was just driving around um, my little town and it's a little rural town. Um, we, I had been going stir crazy after being in the house for three weeks and needed to get out. And it was like Friday night. And my husband said, okay, let's go to Sonic, right? There's Sonic in our town. Let's go to Sonic and get dinner. So I had such a great time. We were at Sonic um, I felt safe. My anxiety was very low. I haven't gone out of the house in three weeks because I do, I'm prone to anxiety and I just don't need that in my life. So, but yeah, everything was going great. We were having awesome conversations, had a yummy dinner. And then we're just driving home through our town that, that I've been through, right? Several times. And we passed a car wash and my husband was right in the middle of te- like a story that was very engaging and everything. Um, but at the corner of my eye, I saw this car wash in the dark, just there. And I had a really visceral response and it was very, I couldn't breathe. And I was like, <gasps> and my husband said, you, when it took me a while, I'm sure he was trying to get my attention for a hot second. Um, but he was like, are you having an anxiety attack? We didn't even go around anybody. Like what's happening? Um, and I realized that was due to a story that I heard years ago um, on the news. And then yeah. that story hit differently for me. I don't know why, what it was about that. Um, but I ended up hearing it on the news and then thinking it was tragic and couldn't leave well enough alone. So I went and looked it up, followed the story and, you know, <laughs> um, but it was a little girl who um, her mom of course you did. decided to punish her by pulling into a car wash and spraying her with that hose. And I mean, a car wash hose, right? For anyone who's experienced it or who has been there, washed their car or whatever, has any knowledge of it. It's really strong water pressure. And so imagine a little, a little three-year-old. Um, and so luckily this was caught on, on video and was turned into police and the mom was caught and held accountable legally. Oh, um, and this is traumatic. It's a traumatic story. I can't even imagine um, being involved firsthand, but I will say it's, on the spectrum of trauma, right? I've heard it all and I've heard terrible things. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking that, Allie. I I was thinking of some of the things that when you worked um direct Defenders. services with with kids and and um what what did we call them? We didn't say delinquents, we said offenders mm-hmm. offenders um in some of the stories <laughs> some of the direct experiences that you've um shared with me that are I, i'm sorry and i'm not there's no scale actually there's it no, is it but is. that to me appear to be 
way more impactful. And that's yeah. horrible what you just said. Yeah, that are on an ongoing but abusive, also, psychologically, physically abusive scale. And, um, I don't know why. I don't know why this story stuck with me or why I had a response all these years later. Um, but it was very real and I could feel it. Um, something else that I really want to share um, that happened today um, but this was firsthand trauma, but I mean, it all ties in, right? How we respond, how on physically and mentally and emotionally to trauma. Um, my husband had a really, a very real ex- being triggered, uh, experiencing a trauma trigger for himself. And for me, um, I didn't experience anything that he went through, right? He's been in the military for 16 years plus and he's told me stories and his friends have told me stories and, um, Every once in a while, I, you know, experience some kind of memory recall and stuff, but I wouldn't say it's like a, um, a vicarious trauma thing because I don't really visualize it or picture it like that. Like I experienced it firsthand, but I just have the memories of what he said. Um, but he experienced really firsthand trauma recollection today. Um, and it was scary to see. Um, and it was something very minimalistic that happened around our neighborhood. Just, he heard a sound. Um, and we couldn't find the source of the sound. Oh. And we all first thought it was pretty comical. Like, what is the sound? And my son's running in and out of the house, like looking for stuff. And we're making up stories of what we think the sound was. And But it was very playful and very not um, scary or, you know, serious in that moment, at least not what I interpreted. Threatening, right? And we were all safe and sound in our house. Serious. And later on, as my husband's making dinner, um, I dropped something yeah. in a nearby room. And when I saw him and went and made fit, like visualized him eyes on him, he was kind of frozen. And I'm like, what, what is happening? And he's like, I don't know. I've just been feeling weird all day. And he didn't put it into, he didn't describe what was happening to him, but it clicked for me. What was happening is he had a trauma trigger and he was pulled back into his, um, something that he experienced. Right. So, um, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I do want to speak to that because mm-hmm. uh, my mm-hmm. brother-in-law is the most calm, collected, cool person. I mean, he and my husband both are that way. But knowing that and then, and then seeing right. the trigger and that psychological piece that it, mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like mm-hmm. a primitive reaction yeah. to something that has happened. Mm-hmm. And and you talk about it in terms of he's been deployed how many times and countless mm-hmm. times, and he is very, very well adjusted, but there mm-hmm. have been countless mm-hmm. times where his life was in danger and other people's lives were in danger that, you know, we, we just can't rub our uh-huh. heads, heads around, but for him, a sound mm-hmm. that you can't put, you can't account right. for you don't know where that is. That's, mm-hmm. that's a dangerous situation. And mm-hmm. it would not go away, even though the day went by mm-hmm. and, you know, everything, he was on edge, he was on it edge is. and he had a trigger response, mm-hmm. which that's PTSD, which is what vicarious trauma is, is a PTSD response to, you know, being mm-hmm. in a, in a situation that mm-hmm. I think that you, you don't even have to be the one directly, um, involved mm-hmm. in. But it, it is that response of, I know bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me that I too. What that, yeah. And what that also said am, to me today am, in light of what's going on in our society that. now and, and is that my husband, who is scary. a rock, and we all say that, you know, my husband's a rock and he's, 
he really is the rock. He is emotionally and mentally very stable. Um, and he, um, yes, he is. it just goes to show you. And he seems to really be handling is. this whole pandemic so well on a scale. He's definitely not like my sister and I who are like <laughs> anxiety ridden. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but um but it does go oh, to show you bag. that we are all impacted everybody whether you show it or not whether you process it or bag. not everybody is dealing with something and um it was it was very sad that it all happened like that yes. but it was very good for me to see that and to see him be a little bit vulnerable and a little bit open up because it did reassure me right we're all going through it and we're all going to come out of it um on the other end stronger if we use this time wisely so uh-huh mm-hmm. and that's the biggest piece for me yeah is mm-hmm. own it nobody yeah. again again mm-hmm. 50 to 75 percent and that's just my anecdotal i think um interpretation of where people are at functionally mm-hmm. but like yeah. again like yeah. people who yeah. are you know just going about business as usual and trying to keep it together right they're still impacted. Everybody's impacted mm-hmm. by the shit that's happening in our, in mm-hmm. our society. That's vicarious mm-hmm. trauma. It's that stuff that's not directly happening to us, Absolutely. but that mm-hmm. we can relate to so, from a human perspective. I don't know if you have anything else before we get on to like the traumatic. positive side that's of it. Right? Bottom, so, that's vicarious trauma. Uh, we've been talking pretty heavy stuff, right? And this was our lighter topic coming off of a really heavy one. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a positive? Just kidding. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you you did some signs. Um, I think we can give some some tips on you know things to do with vicarious trauma. And I think the biggest one is acknowledging Mm -hmm. and awareness. So acknowledging, I'm not, I'm not okay today, or I'm not okay today for whatever reason or whatever. And 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 sharing that with the people um around you the people that are important in your life. So um, mm-hmm. I have a, a three, almost four year old and an 11, almost 12 year old. Wow. That's crazy. Right. Um, but I do. And, and, and they are very well versed in, uh, you know what? Today was kind of rough. Mommy's had a rough mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. Uh, today. And there was a time when I would say today's mm-hmm. not the best day to be a psychotherapist in prison. and that would be my my cue that I just need to take a minute I need to be vulnerable I I'm not 100% so and 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 now my girls are so and my husband they're they're all like versed in that because I've I've shared that with them and I've asked them for what I need which is grace Mm -hmm. basically grace in that I'm not 100% right now Mm -hmm. so please don't fight with your sister and don't you know, let's just, and then, and, and it's amazing to see mm-hmm. that again, the same thing. Yeah. And, and part of me yep. wishes that my girls were not helper healers because I know what the, the pain of that is, but they are, right. and they, they kind of take after me in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they will be like very, mm-hmm. um, very responsive to that. And my husband is extremely right. responsive, but just very caretaking and like, you know what, um, Let's go play a game. Let's go read a book. Let's go do something quiet because mommy's not doing, mommy's not Mm -hmm. in the best mood right now. That kind of thing. And that's, I I can say that that hundred percent is rejuvenating for me because I feel loved. I feel supported. 
I feel cared about and, and beyond anything, I feel validated. Yep. They know that their mommy is doing important work and yep. is impacted by that. And, and I'm okay with it. I am totally okay with it. And especially as the 11 year old now, um, when she was mm-hmm. little, you know, saying those things to her, you know, whatever. But now right. it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to get my sister. Right. We're going to go play a game. And we're going to hang mm-hmm. out and we're going to. That's super important that you brought that up. I think it's out so that, um, you know, mommy can have a minute. super important of the utmost importance as parents to not only to not show that we have it together all the time, because like we're human, like let's not set our, our children up for false expectations that you're an adult. You have to have it together. That's crap. Like show vulnerability because it, it allows your children to be able to show vulnerability, right? It models give yourself grace because it allows your children to give themselves grace when they mess up or when they don't feel um good right so I think that's awesome. yes and absolutely yeah to, to reinforce the fact that you need to you need to voice mm-hmm. and verbalize what you need yeah. you 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 can't expect anybody yes. in the world to anticipate what it is that you need. Yes. And so by saying, mm-hmm. I have had a rough day, I need a break. I, 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 I need you mm-hmm. to whatever it is. I need this. Mm-hmm. I need that. That sets that up. And, yeah. and, and I mean, my three-year-old will do it. She'll yeah. be like, I'm really tired. Yeah. And I need, yeah. I need anybody to be quiet or I need to watch my movie because I'm tired and I'm yeah. stressed or whatever she says. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, that to me is like, wow. Yeah. Okay. And that's okay. And that's good. Also, and um, that, such oh, a good skill to have. That it encourages you through. Like, so definitely Chris people. touched on there's good news, right? You could take care of yourself. So compassion fatigue can definitely be identified, which mm-hmm. with Chris um, mentioned that just a minute ago, identified, putting a name to it, right? Identified, arrested, and treated at any time. And you can come out of the trauma even better than you were before. Self-care is of the utmost importance. Um, we can only yeah. give what we have. And I think Chris touched on that earlier too, right? As a helper, you have to help yourself first. And we've, we've gone back to that airplane, the mask, the air mask. But you really can only give what you have. And if you don't have anything, you can't give yep. it. Absolutely. I love that. Yep. Yep. You can't pour from an empty vessel. That's my favorite mm-hmm. one. Um, and, and I think, I think knowing what it is that fulfills you, what it is that's going to heal you, it's it's self-care. We say that all the time. Oh, it's self-care. Is that a bubble bath? Is that making a chocolate cake and eating it? I don't know, but I think self-care can be, self-care can be anything that makes you feel okay. So self-care can be, um, you know, doing something that, that, doesn't yeah. seem relaxing, like cleaning out yeah. your closet yeah. or making yourself feel more efficient, paying all your bills, yeah. going through your closet, mm-hmm. whatever the heck it is that's going to be making you feel like you're on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's self-care. Um, waking up early sometimes if you need yeah. to. It's not all about um, like bubble baths mm-hmm. and massages. It's sometimes like, yes. you know what, saying no to something that you don't want to say no to sometimes it's it's getting takeout instead of making dinner um sometimes it's making dinner 
you know, instead of getting takeout, whatever it is. That comes from being self-aware. And I'm so glad that Christy said you said that all that, because those are all great ideas. Um, It's not a one size fits all for sure. Be self-aware. Being self-aware is the biggest coping tool you have for the, in this world, right. Coming through this world. Um, like, like you mentioned for some people, self-care is I'm going to sleep in, give myself grace and sleep in until nine. For mm-hmm. some people, self-care is I need to wake up early because I am prone to depression or <laughs> laziness or whatever. Uh, and, um, not being productive, whatever. And I sleep until 11 every day. So for some people, self-care and better taking care of themselves is waking up at six o'clock and getting a workout. So really knowing yourself, it's not a one size fits all. Um, one tip that I saw, um, that I really thought was a great idea. Um, while it's good to take a lot of time for self care and really plan, you know, what works for you, 10 minutes a day is sufficient. So if you can take 10, um, and 10 minutes a day and do something just for you, not something for your family, yeah, for you, yeah. just you, journaling, walking, praying, exercising, whatever, but it's just about you. Something intentional. It's not benefiting anyone Something else. Something intentional. Um, is a good place to start. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's the piece is that intentional, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm important. And, and mm-hmm. I will say that hot baths mm-hmm. and, um, of course, wine when you are not dealing with Lent, but wine and massages and chiropractic care and all of those things, getting your nails done, getting your hair done, pedicures, whatever that is, that shit is all important. The internal work. But even more important is Mm -hmm. that intentional reflection on yourself and being able, yes, exactly. And, and it, really becoming aware, like Ali just said, mm-hmm. aware of what um, it is for you. So yeah. And it can be some of the outward stuff, but really try to be internal with, with a lot of your self-care too, right? Something you can do even in a pandemic. Cause if your self-care is getting your nails done, guess what? Can't do that now. <laughs> yeah. So look for internal things, easy things. Um, a real can't do it. Uh uh-uh. uh can't do that no more. So for me Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for me lately when I get because again anxiety really runs rampant for Allie and, and I both and we both um learn to cope with it and learn to deal with it yeah um one of the things for me that I think is as internal as it gets yes. is I pray and I I pray deep and I pray slowly and I allow myself that yeah. piece of whenever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I've realized with my um, tendency with anxiety, mm-hmm. a lot of times comes insomnia, right? We all know that if we have anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that's healing because mm-hmm. I can, I can lay and I can, I yep. can take a deep breath and I can just pray slowly. And then before I know it, it's morning and I've slept yeah. for eight hours. Yep. So all these self-care things are really good tips. One thing that I will say is if you are experiencing, right, you've done your self-care, you've done everything. We're only human. Something does is going to impact us. So if you're experiencing that secondhand trauma or that um, compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma, whatever term you use, if you're experiencing that something really good in the moment and in the right, right in, in it to do is practicing grounding. 
and whether that's meditation or you have grounding, you know, practices or whatever that you do, but it pulls you out of that trauma. And that's basically the first step, right? You can't start on yourself here if you're still spinning. So you have to stop yourself. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yep. From spinning. Yes. And, and I think that if it's beyond your control, there are lots of resources out there. Mm-hmm. There are professionals out there who, I mean, mm-hmm. there are so many things, oh, yeah. especially e- even now, I guess not mm-hmm. even especially, but even now during this pandemic, one of the things that's mm-hmm. taken off recently mm-hmm. is online therapy, um, web-based therapy. Mm-hmm. There is, I think it's talk space. Yep. There is better help. There's, um, mm-hmm. if you're a, faithful person, faith counseling. Um, there's all kinds of different things, um, for lots and, and, and any, mm-hmm. anybody can find what, what their fit is and, um, right. really engaging in, in therapy and counseling on your own terms and from your own home is really empowering. But I think even with a uh, traditional face-to-face therapist right now, uh-huh. a lot of them are moving yeah. toward those <laughs> online and, uh, All I can think of when dad would say teletype from Texas. Whatever, telephone, <laughs> I guess. Teletherapy is what you're going to call it. Um, teletype. We're going to teletype yeah. a message instead of like email something or text something. We're going to teletype it. Oh, it took us forever. He'll still say it sometimes. He's like, well, I, I love teletype it. you. I'm like, so oh, I teletype anything. Yeah. What is this True. math? What is this math? Uh, yeah, so so you can teletype your therapy. Yeah. <laughs> but but remember that professional therapy mm-hmm. is so accessible right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, I do want to recommend I mean, a TED talk that I found really interesting. And there's a whole bunch of so if you just um, go on the internet and search for um, vicarious trauma, you have a whole bunch of videos from really enlightened professionals who um, can speak on it. But I really did find um, a helpful and informative an accessible TED talk and accessible like via the, the verbiage she used the language it wasn't the heck is this lady talking about right um so it's called um drowning in empathy the cost of vicarious trauma and it's by Amy Cunningham so that's a really good one if you want to do some more research on your own that is all I have Ooh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, love, light, and absolutely. Bye, guys. We'll see you next time. In these trying times, um, 